This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs.
Thank you, Tim. Good, good stuff. Great message. I would just remind you that uh, this evening is our uh, final segment of small groups on Sunday evening. And uh, so those of you that have signed up for the cooking class, make sure you uh, show up. And that class is full, so if you have not signed up, I'm, I'm sorry. You can just go and kind of smell the class, how wonderful it smells. Uh, but that's all you can do. And uh, then we'll be having the class in here as well as the, uh, the class over there in A4. So hope that you'll show up. Uh, this is the final week in our series entitled Dealing with Difficult People. And when I shared that with our uh, prayer group, by the way, you know, we do meet at 8 o'clock for, for prayer. We call it Pastor's Prayer Partners where, where people gather around and and uh, they pray for me because Lord knows I need that, and you know I need that. Uh, but anyway, when I said this is the final week in this series, someone said amen, and they were so very grateful. But one more time, we're going to review the memory verse that's kind of powered us through this series. And uh, th- this time, I'm, I'm just going to read it, and, uh, but I want you to really focus on, on the words. Uh, it comes from First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. Uh, brothers and sisters, if you can go ahead and put that up on on the screen, please. Uh, brothers and, and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. So let me just do a quick exegesis here, just a quick explanation. Uh, if you see someone that's lazy, it appears from this verse, you're not just supposed to sit back and say, well, they're lazy, those good-for-nothing lazy people. It says, warn those who are lazy. And then it goes on and says, encourage those who are timid. So if you see someone who is timid and maybe is afraid to get involved in, in, in ministry, it says, encourage them. And then take tender care of those who are weak. You see someone that's you know, really struggling, uh, someone that maybe is sick. It says, take tender care. And then I wish God wouldn't have put this last phrase in there, but it says, be patient with everyone. That means each other. That means with your pastor. And I've even got to be patient with you. So that's kind of the verse that's powered us through the last month. Let me begin this final lesson uh, in our series in a very underwhelming way. In this room today, a pretty significant number of you have a problem. You want to know your problem? And maybe I should just switch it around and say we have a problem because unfortunately in the last few weeks I've, I've become aware that I also have this problem. But, but here's your problem. Here's my problem. We tend to nitpick and criticize and pick apart most every person, whether it's our teachers or doctors or city council members or coaches and you don't do this here but other churches pick apart their pastors we tend to nitpick but it doesn't stop there we we also pick apart most every organization whether it's a business a church a hospital a school a political party and maybe god does allow a little bit of that to go on i don't know but but you get my drift. And what complicates this problem is that the majority of us would never see that in ourselves. We, we don't see ourselves as critics. 
we don't see ourselves as being negative. As we've talked in this series, you can easily spot character flaws in me. And I can easily spot character flaws in you. But for some reason, we can't see the flaws in ourselves. But you're going to have to trust me on this one. Many of us, most of us, have a problem of being overly critical. And not just those of us in this room, but, but, but those of you that are listening on radio and, and watching live stream, you are just rejoicing that you're not here today. But let me just say that um, a few of you probably aren't here because you say you love God, but you don't like the church. You can't seem to find a church that meets your needs. And, and so it's easier to stay at home and listen. And that way you can just kind of shut us down anytime you want. By the way, for those of you on radio and live stream, aren't you glad you tuned in today? Maybe you just need to take a second and smile. All of us, why don't we just smile before we go on? Well, as I dig a deeper hole and make the atmosphere even more tense here in this underwhelming beginning, some of us here this morning possibly haven't been able to get anything out of the service so far. Because something was said, a, a song was sung, a person was dressed in a way we don't think they should dress in church, or, or someone seemed to act distant towards us, and that's pretty much hijacked our minds, that's hijacked our hearts. And, and by the way, welcome to the Church of God Holiness, where it's always positive and encouraging, and where we make you feel good about yourselves. Maybe we need to just smile again. You know, back some time ago, a fa family came to, to this church and during one of the segments of the service, before we ever got to my part, before we ever got to the message, so this was one of those rare times where it wasn't me. You know, normally it, it's me. Uh, you know, the rest of the staff, they're, they're sweet. They never make anybody mad. I'm the one who normally sets people off. But believe it or not, and I just rejoice that it wasn't me this time, but, but those people came up to me after the service and you could see the smoke coming out of their their ears and, and they said joe that made us so mad we should have left because we didn't get anything else out of the rest of the service we were so upset now i don't even remember what the issue was but the sad part is that they lost out on what god had for them that day you know another time and this is th this is so interesting but someone came up to me after the service and it wasn't too very long ago and they were furious that someone said amen so much. They felt that it detracted from the service. They, they thought it was disrespectful and insensitive of this person. And they were mad. You know, Satan is so good at using a spirit of criticism in a church. You know, it, it can be as simple as seeing someone that wears an outfit exactly like yours. And that's happened, ladies. You know what I'm talking about. You think the nerve of them, I had that outfit first, and, and how dare them, and now you can't wear your outfit anymore because it's not the only one. And your mind gets stuck there. Or, or maybe it's someone in the church that owes you money, or the music is too loud, or, or you see this round table up here, which incidentally is a pub table, but it's a sanctified pub table. And, and, and you think, you know, why? Why do they have to be so different? Why don't... They just have a traditional podium. What's wrong with them? And, and why do they put the chairs to the side instead of in the middle? 
You know what? If we're not careful, we can become critical of so many things that have no eternal value. And when that happens, listen, score a point for Satan. You lose. He wins. Now, dealing with critics in the world is not a new problem. People back thousands of years ago in the Bible also had this problem. For example, it happened during Moses' day. In fact, if you married someone your family didn't approve of, then you and Moses have something in common. In Numbers chapter 12, we see where Moses' brother Aaron and his sister Miriam did not like Moses' choice of a wife. She was a Cushite which means she was from another culture. In fact, she probably had black skin. Moses would have had olive-colored skin. So, so you had two different cultures. You had two different races, probably two different languages. And, and Moses' family criticized him on his choice of a wife. Anybody relate to that? Don't raise your hand, okay? Just smile. And then in the New Testament, you see where evidently several people had criticized the Apostle Paul for not being a very good speaker. So you're not the only ones that wish your pastor were a better speaker. Happened to the Apostle Paul. But but if you pay attention to to Paul's writings, you can tell he's heard this complaint one too many times. And and like we all do, you know, whenever we hear something enough times, we become defensive. and, And he basically said, well, I may not be eloquent, but at least I preach the gospel. And and I think a lot of us pastors, we've hidden behind that statement, you know, someone criticizes us for not being a very good speaker and kind of the default statement that we fall back on to defend ourselves because it sounds spiritual. Well, I may not be a Billy Graham. I may not be able to speak as well as so-and-so, but at least I preach the word. And we really don't know if Paul was a good speaker or a bad speaker. I found it's all relative. You know, someone thinks that so-and-so is a good speaker, but then others don't care for his style. Uh, But one thing we do know is that the Apostle Paul was long-winded. And, and, and I love this scripture. You need to listen. In Acts chapter 20, verse 9, it says, As Paul spoke on and on, a young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill. Why was he sitting there in the first place? But he became very drowsy. They probably had candles going and so took the oxygen, became very drowsy. He sank into a deep sleep, fell three stories to his death below. Now, just so you know, I've never had that happen to me. I've had people fall asleep. I've had people snore. I've had people snore loudly. And I I never know what to do when they're snoring. Do I have someone wake them up and embarrass them? But just so you know, to to defend my honor, nobody has fallen to their death during my preaching. But and, And then it says, you know, this guy fell. Paul went down, bent over him, took him into his arms. Don't worry. He said he's alive. And and, and so I, I've got to chuckle at this next verse. Here's what's got Paul drones on and on. A kid falls to his death from a third story window. Paul goes down to check on him, picks him up, says, no worries. He's okay. And he was. But then what do they do? It's like, it's no big deal. Verse 11. Then they all went back upstairs and ate the Lord's supper together. But all of that to say that the great apostle Paul was criticized for not being very eloquent. And then another example of people being critical was with Jesus. We, we know that Jesus was perfect in every way without sin. Amen? That's, that's our doctrine there. We believe the Bible teaches that. Yet he was criticized for things such as, listen, eating with sinners, not washing his hands before he ate, healing on the Sabbath, picking a little bit of grain on the Sabbath, and, and then the biggie, was that he didn't follow their religious traditions. 
Which, by the way, I found one of the quickest ways to get criticized is by trying something new and breaking away from church traditions. You know the statement, we've never, how does it go? We've never done it that way before. So there will be times that we will be criticized. And, listen, don't be surprised when the criticism will often come from people in the church. You know, from time to time I hear people say, well, I was just devastated. I couldn't believe the people in my own church criticized me. Hey, that should never shock you. I mean, seriously. Not everybody in church is a fully sanctified and fully consecrated follower of Jesus Christ. Most of us are still a work in progress, uh, including you, including me. You know, if Jesus received criticism from his own friends and family and his own disciples. Don't be surprised when people in the church criticize you. Could be criticism from people who say, I can't believe the way they spend their money. I, I, I know they struggle financially. How do they go out to eat so much? Or how can they afford to get a large Coke from the local convenience store every day? Or how in the world can they afford to drive such nice cars? I wonder if they're selling meth on the side. (laughs) Or others might say, you know, I can't believe the way they don't spend their money. I mean, they dress like they did in the 70s. Their clothes are so outdated, that's really embarrassing. And they've got the money to do better. Or for women who work, it's like, oh, you work, so you must not love your kids very much. Or, or for those moms who, who, who don't work, it's like, oh, so you've chosen to waste your life staying at home. Or, or maybe the criticism comes from a spouse. They don't like the way that you hold your fork. Or the way you load the dishwasher. Or in my case, the way that you don't load the dishwasher. Or, or maybe the criticism is directed to your mama and all you hear is, you're just like your mama. And then I'm sure some of you have been criticized for going to this church. But they didn't call it this church. They referred to it as that church. That snooty church or that rich church. Or I've heard it called that dress-up church. And when I hear that statement, my only comment is they must not see how the pastor dresses. You know, sometimes I see other pastors in the community dress in a coat and tie and, and, and they look so nice. And I always go up to them and thank them for helping keep the average up because I always bring it down. Or sometimes people say, oh, they go to that church, they just teach fluff. You know, it's shallow and they don't teach the real gospel and it's always positive, encouraging there. Newsflash, if your church is not being criticized for something, you're probably not doing anything. So what we want to talk about today is how do you deal with critical people? Quickly, let's look at two wrong ways to respond to critical people. The first wrong response is to fight. And when I say fight, this is not a physical fight, but we come out swinging verbally and let them know that we don't appreciate what they just said. And and our society would support that. They say, stand your ground. You know, give them a piece of your mind. Don't let them walk over you. Don't let them run over you. And, And we as a society celebrate that. And it's natural to react. I don't know if you're like me, but here's what happens within me when I'm criticized. My my heart starts to beat a little bit faster. My blood pressure begins to rise. My face will get 
flushed. My mind goes into a mode of figuring out how to say the most cynical and hurtful things to them. And I just want to lay hands on them, on their necks, in the name of Jesus. Anybody else want to do that, or am I the only one? Three of you. The rest of you are sanctified holy. Or you're liars. (laughs) And if I do happen to end up controlling my tongue and walk away without saying anything stupid, then I will replay in my mind what I could have said and, and what I wish I would have said. But frankly, that approach never solves anything. The second wrong response is flight. This is where we put up a wall and say, well, you know, they hurt me deeply and I may be dumb, but I'm not stupid. They can hurt me once, but I won't let them hurt me twice. But if you think about those strategies, fight, flight, neither of those responses is biblical, nor does it help the situation. So as we've done for each of these messages in this series, let's look at three prayers that will help us do what is right when we're criticized. The first prayer is this, God, help me to know when to respond to criticism. Now, very important here, notice I didn't say when to react to criticism. React is what we often do. We get upset. We say, how dare you? We talk about them behind their back or we get, here's what we do today. We get on Facebook and rip them to shreds. By the way, do yourself a favor. Don't show your immaturity by trying to solve your private problems on a public forum. Facebook is not the place to confront and correct wrong behavior. That's not the place, especially in a small community like Like ours, it's not the place to criticize our school, the administration, the hospital, doctors, coaches, pastors. Did I say churches? Or even restaurants? Or did I say churches? When that happens, it shows a very high level of immaturity. Just saying. We need to pray and ask God to help us know when to respond, not react, but when to respond to criticism. Now, there are a couple of things I want to say under this prayer. First, never ignore constructive criticism because uh, Scripture is very clear in Proverbs fifteen thirty one. It says, if you listen to constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. If you reject criticism, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. So don't ignore constructive criticism. Don't ignore constructive criticism in your marriage. And, and I'll admit there, there are five words for my wife that put the fear of God in me. And I don't know if you've ever heard them before or not. But when she says, Joe, we need to talk. I recommit my life to Christ just in case my life ends. <laughs> There are those times when I need to hear constructive criticism, not react to it, but I need to respond to it. And same way at work, when, when your boss, when your coworkers lovingly tell you some things that you need to hear, be teachable. You know, one of the things that's taking place today is that our society is becoming unteachable because we think we know everything. 
So never ignore constructive feedback. The second thing in responding to criticism, sometimes you may need to give an explanation. You know, a great example of this is Gideon in the Old Testament. The the Ephraimites were criticizing Gideon and they essentially said, Gideon, you excluded us from a particular activity. And, and why did you do that? In fact, let's just read in Judges chapter 8, verse 1. It says, then the people of Ephraim asked Gideon, why have you treated us this way? Why didn't you send for us when you first went out to fight the Midianites? So they were going to battle and, and didn't let them know. And, and they argued heatedly with Gideon. And, and in the very next verse, Gideon helped them understand his actions. And skipping on down to the last part of verse 3, it says, When the men of Ephraim heard Gideon's answer, they were no longer angry. He explained why, and it was logical, and it made sense, and it was good. And So a spirit-directed, non-defensive response that explains non-defensive, spirit-led, can many times diffuse unjust criticism. Here's our second prayer. God help me to know when to dismiss unjust criticism. In other words, God help me know when to just shake it off. Let me tell you when you may want to dismiss unjust criticism. First of all, when the person is known for being overly critical. You know, overly critical people are never happy with anything. They, they, They never like their jobs. And by the way, if you're looking for a job, can I I just give you some advice here? Um, When you go in an interview, don't just criticize your former bosses or former companies because if I were the one in charge of hiring, I would not hire you. If you're just overly critical of your past employment, if you've been dissatisfied at other places, you'll be dissatisfied at your new job as well. Just a little tip as you go for a job interview. You know, same thing here. If someone comes to this church from another church and they just brag on this church and say, oh, it's a breath of fresh air, but but they're super critical of their former church or many times as former churches and You know, I don't get too excited about all the good things they say about this church because I know that critical people never stay happy very long. I just know it won't be long and we'll be on the list of bad churches. So so if if you're criticized by someone who is critical of their job and critical of the church and of the government and, and critical of even the weather, you probably don't need to spend much time worrying about their criticism. This shows the condition of their heart. And you may need to just dismiss the criticism. Secondly, we may, may also need to dismiss criticism when the person is emotionally wounded. And, and Now, we, we do not dismiss the person. We love the person. But we have to understand that when someone is deeply hurt, they may take it out on others. You know, as the saying goes, hurt people hurt people. For example, if God has blessed you with financial means... You've done well for yourself. You've wisely managed God's resources. You will many times be the target of criticism by people in this community. Then they're rich people. You know, people who are struggling to make it because they're hurting many times have a tendency to lash out at those who have plenty. Or sometimes people who are under a tremendous amount of stress... Maybe they're in a midlife crisis or one of their kids is going down the wrong road or they live with a tremendous amount of pain in their body. Those people will sometimes be cranky and say things that sting. And here's what you need to do. You need to listen to them. 
You need to love them, but don't be devastated by their criticism. You know, one time the Pharisees were offended by what Jesus said. In fact, that happened quite a bit. But listen to Jesus' response. He told a little story, compared the Pharisees to plants. And here's what he said in Matthew 15, 13. Jesus replied, every plant, and, and Christ wasn't referring to plants. He's referring to people here. You know, every plant not planted by my heavenly Father will be rooted up, so ignore them. They're blind guides leading the blind. If one blind person guides another, they will both fall into a ditch. So on occasion, there will be things that said that you just need to ignore. Just shake it off. Don't let it get under your skin. And as you become a leader, whether it's a leader at work or a leader in the community or even a leader here at church, as you rise in influence, I promise you, you will become a greater target for criticism. The wind blows more at the top. And if you do not learn to dismiss unfair criticism, here's what will happen. You will begin to withdraw because you've been burned and you do not allow God to use you. We've all heard of the term gun shy. And I, I actually did some research in, in, into that this past week. But years ago, that was in reference to hunt, hunting dogs, even cavalry horses that developed a fear of the sound of a a gun discharging and and i haven't seen it so much in horses but i've seen it in hunting dogs you know as soon as you raise your gun to shoot those dogs if they're gun shy they run with their tails between their legs they're no good for hunting and and from what i understand the same thing with horses that were going into battle that the horses would There were some that would just be gun-shy. And so horses going into battle, they would raise their guns and the horse would just spook and go crazy. And they would no longer be able to be used in battle. And when we are unable to dismiss unfair criticism, we in essence become gun-shy. And in so doing, we become worthless. And we'll never be able to be used by God. We need to be able to let unfair criticism go. And this past week, as I was just praying over this, I I just thought that probably the sad truth is that some of us here in this room right now, we're still haunted by words that someone said to us years ago. Just like they echo within us. And we can't let them go. And it's just like, still bothers us. You need to let it go. Some years ago, someone wrote me a letter. And I get letters once in a while. They're not love letters. I opened up the letter. It was unsigned. Now, let me just say up front, you're not supposed to read unsigned letters because most unsigned, unsigned letters are a form to just spew venom. And, and, and here's the way you know people justify unsigned letters. Let me just tell you up front. They say, well, the reason this is unsigned, because I don't want to be a target. I don't want you to take it out on me and my family. I, I don't know how many times I've read that, but, but that's the way they try to justify it. So when you get an unsigned letter, you really shouldn't read it. But, but, but I'm like you. I do. <clears throat> but this person just ripped me. But not only did they say horrible things about me, they said horrible things about some of you. Mentioned you by name. 
It was probably the most cruel letter that I've, I've ever received. And, you know, sometimes I get letters and there's, there's some truth to it. I need to hear it. Because sometimes I need a rebuke. But this one was way out in left field, especially since it included some of you by name. Well, here's what I did. I, I, I wish that I could say that I immediately dismissed the criticism and I praised God and went on my merry way and never thought about it again, but that's not what happened. I flunked the test. It stung so much, and, and I stewed on this day after day, and I got more and more upset every day, and I would go over in my mind who could have written that letter. It came to the point where it was beginning to affect me spiritually. I mean, it was just consuming me, and and I realized that if I didn't shake it off, it would affect my future ministry. And, and, and finally, and it took a long time, I was able to bring it to Jesus. And I put this letter at the foot of the cross and God did a work in me. And, and I want to just give a testimony to God's grace because this is so amazing. I want you to listen to this. Today, I don't even remember what the criticism was. And it's not because I'm old and have dementia and just have forgotten because I remember stuff like this, I'm telling you. But God's grace was applied to me. And when I put it at Jesus' feet, He just erased the details from my memory. And today I remember that it hurt, it stung, it was painful. But God's grace has allowed me to forget the details. And sometimes, whenever we've been hurt so much, we need to bring that hurt, that letter, that criticism, put it at the feet of Jesus, and ask that God's grace that causes us to forget those things would be applied. And He can do that. I'm a living testimony to that. Here's the most important prayer of the day. God, help me overcome my own critical nature. You knew it was coming, didn't you? Because we're all, we're all those people from time to time. I have a bent towards being critical. I can pick people apart with the best of you. I hear about church members doing all kinds of stuff instead of coming to church, and I'm just confessing to you, if I'm not careful, I can get into a critical mode and forget the mission God has called me to. But here's what I've learned, and I hope you will learn it. Criticizing does not change people. Criticizing those people who skip church does not change them, does not bring them closer to God. Criticizing never changes anyone. You, you will never criticize your way into a better marriage. You will never criticize your children into becoming more godly. You will never criticize your difficult person into being more loving. I cannot criticize you into being closer to God. You can't criticize me into being a better pastor. We can criticize each other all day long, but it will never change one person. Rather, you know what is more effective? Instead of tearing people down, it's more effective to love people up. Love people up. 
as our memory verse said, encourage those who are timid instead of criticizing them. Take tender care of those who are weak instead of criticizing. Be patient with everyone instead of criticizing them. Love people up. And you know what will make it easier to love people up and instead of tearing them down? Here's just a tip that I've learned. The best way to stop being so critical is not just to try harder. That's what we think. Okay, well, I'm going to try harder. Yeah, I know I'm, I'm kind of critical. I've got a critical nature. I'm going to try harder. Rather, the best way to stop being so critical is to go on a mission to become closer to Jesus. You know, when you get on an airplane and take off and go higher and higher, everything on the ground begins to look smaller and smaller. And so it is, the higher we rise towards God, you will find those little irritants no longer looking so big. Because you're closer to God, you're higher. They won't bother you so much. Plus, those unjust criticisms leveled at us will get smaller and smaller and smaller. So the solution for being critical or being bothered by critical people is to not just try harder, but to go on a mission to rediscover Jesus and find a new level of intimacy with Him. And so my closing words to you in this series are, don't let someone nitpick you off your mission for Jesus. I know some of us are hurting this morning. We've been criticized. We're bleeding. There are some of you, you feel you just don't know if you can get back up again. But you can. Get up. Stand up. Dust yourself off. Bandage your wounds. Rise above it. Shake it off. And may I even say, don't be a baby. Toughen up. Get back into the game. You're needed. Your family needs you. Your church needs you. The world needs you. You can make a difference. Lives can be changed because of you. Don't run. Don't quit. Don't be defeated. Get your eyes on Jesus and off of people. So, brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. And all of the people said, Amen. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.